many of us. And so as we receive uh, updates, we will make sure and kind of pass those along to make sure we all can be praying together for them. I'm going to dismiss Children's Church uh, at this time. That's kindergarten through third grade. Uh, if you guys would follow out John and Emily, thank you for serving us in that way. Uh, the rest of you, if you would pray with me as we come to the word this morning. Lord Jesus, my prayer is that you meet with your people. That as we come to your word this morning, your people would hear your voice. That they would experience your presence. As always, I pray with John the Baptist, may I decrease and you increase this morning, Lord. May your people have experience with you that changes everything. So come, Lord, this, this place is yours. We, this people, are yours already but we invite you. Come even closer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the past couple weeks, uh, we have been working through a series on marriage called Marriages That Make a Difference. Um, I believe that marriage is meant to be one of the most transformational things a society has ever seen. Uh, we've, we've talked kind of each week a little bit about how you look at as marriage Marriages are destroyed and broken and single parent homes and all this. It's easy to point and go, man, culture's going downhill quick. And we can point to that as a cause. I believe that it is God's intention that godly marriages are meant to work the other way. Are meant to show culture what love is, what commitment is, and all these things. It's meant to make a difference, not only in the world around us, but also in the lives of those in the marriage. Yes and amen. Marriage is one of the most transformational things a person can get involved in. And so I think that, that we need to grow in, in some specific areas. I've, I've kind of keyed in on five areas where we have to grow, grow in our understanding and in our practice if we're really going to have these kind of marriages that can make a difference in our lives, in our family, in our community. And so you see them up there. We have to grow in our expectations. We looked at that two weeks ago. Roles, conflict, finances, and intimacy. Just uh, touching on it really quickly, uh, again, these all kind of build on each other. And so if you've missed one, I would encourage you to go to our website and to, to listen to the ones that you've missed because I'm going to kind of keep referencing some of them, but just recapping really, really quickly. When we were talking about our expectations, we said expectations determine our actions and our reactions. What we expect out of a relationship or in a given situation it determines how we approach that relationship. Well, it determines our level of frustration in that relationship, the way that we react when things go differently. And one of the things that we as people are just really bad at is evaluating and communicating our expectations. Do I even know what I expect from this person or from this situation? Oftentimes, no. All I know is I come away like frustrated and like, oh, what happened? Oh, it didn't go the way I wanted. Well, how did you expect it to go? I don't know, but not that. We have expectations for the person that we're married to, but so often they're not clear for us, and so there's no way it's clear for them. And this is a foundational issue that many of us run into. We have to learn to evaluate and communicate our expectations. Thank you, Kim. It started last week, we started looking at our roles. I believe our God-given roles for marriage. Our understanding of the roles that we play in marriage define our expectations for our relationship. 
You see how it's all tied together. The understandings of what a husband is and what a wife is, what I as a husband am expected to do, and what I should be able to expect from my wife and vice versa, this determines our expectations. Many of us, though, don't have a clear understanding of a a God-given role or a biblical role in marriage. And so last week, we started looking at these. We need to grow in our understanding of our God-given roles in marriage if we're going to have the kind of marriages that make a difference. Just again, really, really quick, I'm just trying to recap, so I'm moving quickly through this stuff. Uh, We as a church, my my personal view is called a complementarian view. This is the view of our denomination and everything. It means men and women were created completely equal but different. Equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in rights, equal in grace received from the Father, like equal, but meant to fulfill different roles, different functions, meant to complement one another. That's what it complementarian, that we were not all just created equal and hey, get married and you go figure it out. But God said, look, I created a husband and a wife, unique, different from each other, but meant to complete each other when they come together, to complement one another. And if we don't have a good understanding of what these roles are, we're going to keep kind of fighting over things in the middle because, hey, I thought you were supposed to do that. And, hey, I thought that was mine. Why are you doing that? And, and so we have to kind of come to a common understanding. And, and I said this last week, and I, and I really do mean it. I would rather you disagree with me but be on the same page with your spouse than one of you go, yeah, he's right, and the other one going, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I would rather you, again, have common expectations, even if they're different from mine, but that you would be on the same page and moving together. Again, evaluating and communicating your expectations for each other. Is this making sense, church? Okay. So, our jumping off point for last week Uh, We're going to look at here again. I think it's one of the most difficult passages of Scripture. Uh, It's one of the ones that every time I read it in a group of people, I kind of clench a little bit and go, all right, Lord, you said it. (laughs) If they're mad at anybody, they should be mad at you. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5, and it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So last week, uh, we started looking at the role of a man, the, the role of a husband in the marriage relationship and the role of authority that the husband has been called to. And we spent most of our time focusing on the difference between the way our world views authority and the way the scripture views authority. Real quick, uh, let's, we talked about this some last week. How does the world view authority? When it, when it uses that word, what, what do we think of? What, what comes to mind as authority out in the world, in the business place, and whatever it may be? What does authority mean when the world uses it? To be in power. Superior, there, there's this kind of like above thing, okay. What else? In charge. In charge. Control. Control. What else? Throw some more out. Authority. Oppression. Oppression. 
responsibility. We started looking at the way the world tends to view authority is this picture like a pyramid, like the CEO sits on top and he gets all the perks. He gets the big paycheck. He gets to take the nice vacations. Everything is his way or her. I mean, in a business, but like whoever sits on top of the pile gets all the perks that come with being in control, with being in power. That tends to be how the world views it. And the problem is when we read their interpretation, into the scripture. When you read, wives submit to your husbands, and, and husbands, you're the head of the wife, we, we take our understanding of authority and we put it into scripture, and let me tell you, what he does not mean is that the husband is therefore supposed to be the one who benefits from all the decisions and gets his way all the time, and, but instead what it says is that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. See, in the kingdom, authority is turned completely on its head. Jesus did not come for his own benefit, but for yours. The way that he loved and led the church was to give up everything for the church's interest. And, and Paul says, look, in the same way, husbands are to love your wives, to be the lead blocker for them so that they can be in a place of, of thriving, to lay down your rights and the authority that comes with it to put her in a place of thriving. Philippians points us to this. We didn't look at this passage this week or last week, so I just want to touch on it this week. Paul speaking to the whole church, but listen to what, how he talks about the authority of Christ. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How did Jesus lead his bride? He sacrificed for her. He paved the way. He took the shots so that she didn't have to. Says that he, being like in the very form of God, didn't use it for his own good, but instead used it for our advantage. And then Paul is going to look in that same way husbands are to love and to lead their wives. For their wife and their family's good, not for their own. I, the, the picture was coming to me. I, I shared it at the end of the message last week. Of It's almost like a river with a strong current. And the husband is to stand and part the waters so that the wife can thrive behind him. Not using his power and authority to take from her, but to provide for her, to care for her, to lead the way for her. And this is a high calling, man. This is a high standard there's a reason we tend to revert back to the world's point of view on authority is because then I get some relief. I get to do what I want to do. I get to take care of myself. But we have been called to love and to lead our wives as Christ loves and leads his church. So this week, again, if you, if you weren't here last week and you want to hear more of that, we, we have it online this week. I want to transition and focus on the role of a wife. Ephesians, back to Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands 
in everything. Before I go any further, Chris, will you put up my contact info? I get that I'm going to say some unpopular things this morning, uh, and I am not hiding from it. Um, I'm teaching what I believe the scripture teaches, and I know that it's going to, some people are going to chafe a little bit. I want to have those conversations with you. This is not like a challenge. I dare you to text me. <laughs> okay, apparently some, some people were thinking that. No. This is a, I want to continue these conversations with you. I, I am very aware of what it looks like for someone who looks like me to stand up here and in a room filled with women go, let's talk about submission. <laughs> I am not trying to mansplain submission to anyone. I simply want to, to begin the conversation. And so, again, if I say some things that you're going, yeah, I just don't know about that, I would love to have this conversation with you. I'd love to sit down and hear your point of view and talk about it with you. Because again, if you are married here today, my goal is not necessarily that you see things my way. My goal is how do I help you and your spouse be on the same page and move forward together? So if you have some questions, if you have some pushback, I welcome it. would love to have those conversations with you. Back to Ephesians. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Oh good, he's going to read it again. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Paul did not make this easy for me today. That word submit, if you go and look in the Greek, it means to place yourself under. Again, I hope you wrote down my contact information. To place yourself under the authority of your husband, the leadership of your husband. And listen, he makes it real difficult. There's, there's kind of no wiggle room. He says, as to the Lord. And then he ends it with, in everything. How much wiggle room do we have with Jesus? Where we get to fight back and go, hey, hey Jesus, calm down. I'm going to make the call on this one. Zero. Zero. Paul did not leave us wiggle room in this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Just as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to place themselves under their husband's leadership in everything. Again, last week we talked about the high standard of a husband. And listen, husbands, if we do our jobs, it becomes so much easier for our wife. If, if she knows that I'm, I'm walking in every situation going, how do I best help her to thrive? What is it that I need to do so that her needs can get met. How difficult is it to follow that man? Not very. Still going to be difficult sometimes because we're human and sinful and love control. But we can pave the way for it. But it doesn't say as long as he loves you like Jesus, then go ahead and submit to him. We're not given the wiggle room. Listen, I would much rather teach that uh, women, you should take care of yourselves if he's not smart enough to take care of you. Like, I, that, I would love to be able to teach that lesson. I grew up in a home. I, I, no father was there. I was raised by my mom, my aunt, and my grandma. I, like, this sounds weird. I get it. I love women. One in particular, but, like, I care about how women are treated. I care about women being taken care of. It, it's, it's all I saw growing up. The only time a man was called in in my home was when we made mom so angry she couldn't spank hard enough, and so she called my uncle. Not joking. Like that, That's the only role a man played. And so I grew up, I love women. I respect 
women. I want to see women thriving and doing well. And so I would love to just be able to go, look, just do it yourself. If he doesn't get it, that's on him. You just take care of yourself. But that is actually a destructive message because it goes against what the scriptures teach. It goes against the plan that I believe God has for us. And so I have to stand and say, the best course for you is to submit yourselves to his leadership because that is the course that God has called you to. Again, some interpret that, that passage in Ephesians 5 to say, you know, look, submit to your husband when he leads like Jesus, but until he does, do it yourself. Men, let's answer this for them. Will we ever get to the point of perfection like Jesus? No. And I don't think Paul, or the Lord through Paul, really wasted his time writing about situations that are impossible. Hey, should he ever get it figured out and become perfect like Jesus, then submit to him. That's a waste of ink. We, we will never be that. We cannot, this side of heaven, and so to, to think that that might be what Paul was saying just doesn't make sense. In, in fact, Peter makes it even clearer over in 1 Peter chapter 3. Are you guys having fun? This is fun, right? In 1 Peter chapter 3, wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands. And in case you were thinking Peter might ease us in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he just got done writing to slaves and masters. And he was going, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters, whether they're looking or not, because you're actually serving the Lord, not your masters. And then he goes, how do I transition to wives? Oh, that's right, in the same way, just like a slave to his master. Oh, come on, Pete, he was a married guy. He knew better than this. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that, that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Oh, come on, you're not helping me, guys. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Peter was talking to all wives here, even those married to unbelievers. And listen, to be married to an unbeliever back then as a woman, was to be in an incredibly difficult situation. These men didn't have that understanding of Christian authority. I'm not saying everyone that didn't believe in Jesus was a monster or whatever, but culturally, women were, were purely just property at that point. We know that in the next verse, we looked at it last week, Peter tells husbands, love your wives, respect them because they're co-heirs with Christ. And he begins to, to, to put women on a level that was unheard of in culture at the time. But Peter writes to wives and goes, some of you are married to unbelievers and to them you are nothing but property. Like they, they, they were in some difficult situations potentially. If they were pagan believers, oftentimes the way you worshiped your pagan God was to go and hire a temple prostitute and your wife's still back home, 
and probably knew full well what was going down. And Peter goes, hey, even to you in this situation with an unbelieving husband, submit yourself to his leadership. Again, I'm going to read the, the first half of that passage. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, some have taken this and in my opinion, missed the point and went, okay, so it's sinful for a woman to braid her hair, to wear gold jewelry, or dress nice. Because Peter said that's bad, don't do it. Obviously not the point that Peter was making. Peter was going, look, the most important thing you bring to the table is not your looks. That, again, that's what the world was telling them. You are property. Be the most beautiful piece of property you can be. A, a woman's job back then was to be arm candy and to bear children. And Peter was going, you have so much more to offer than that. Don't fall into the world's trap and think it's, it's how you wear your makeup or your hair or what you look like compared to the other people around you. Don't fall into the trap. He says, instead, the most beautiful thing should be your inner self, unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, when, when Peter says that they should live with a gentle and, and quiet spirit, obviously he's saying women should be seen and not heard, right? No. <sighs> I, need, I need more no's from you guys. Like, some of you are having to think about that. The answer is no. No, 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 no. Peter was not, again, he's not going just, just be quiet little mice over there, just be good property. He knew as well as all of us do. Again, Peter was a married man. God has created many of you with strong personalities, with convictions, with, with beliefs and passions. And this is not saying put those in the drawer somewhere and just let them go. What he's saying here is even if, and listen, I get that this is hard, even if your husband isn't willing to fight for you, continue to place yourself under. Quiet and gentle submission, even in an unfair marriage. How many of you in here are not married yet? Okay, pay attention. Uh, I said this back in week one. A lot of this comes from our premarital counseling that we do, and the first thing I try to do is scare people out of getting married. If you're hearing this, and last week you're going, man, the responsibility, the accountability that comes with being a husband, like, whoa, good. If you're hearing this, if you're a lady here today, and you're going, I'm sorry, submit to what? Submit to who now? Maybe don't yet. Like, that is okay. That is good. For those of us who have already said, I do, we've already committed to this whether we knew it or not. Now is a matter of putting it on. For this is the way that the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So the holy women of old, like Sarah and Abraham, Sarah called Abraham her Lord. And notice it's lowercase l there. Uh, she wasn't calling him God. But, but she came into this as going, whatever you say, that's what I'll do. And we go, wow, way to go, Sarah. That's so cool. Must have been easy for her, right? Abraham was a moron. 
Like, if you've never read Genesis, read it. Dude did not get it. Two separate times, walked into a, a different nation of people that didn't know him from Adam. <laughs> Genesis joke. Come on, church. Okay. Walks into these different kingdoms, and he realizes, uh-oh, my wife is real pretty, and someone might want to kill me and take her from me. And so he would go, hey, Sarah, here's a cool idea. Let's tell them you're my sister. What could go wrong? And so they go in, and somebody goes, your sister, huh? She would make a good wife. Maybe I'll bring her into my home. And the Lord steps in and shuts it down. And, like, the ruler goes, man, Abraham, why didn't you tell me? What are you doing to me? Like, Sarah gets, gets to go back with Abraham. Oh, goody. And they begin traveling again. They walk into another nation, and he goes, hey, I have a great idea. What if we tell him you're my sister again? Sarah was submitting to Abraham. Abraham did not get it. This is not a model of, and it worked out perfectly every time. But Sarah understood what it was to submit herself to her husband's leadership. And listen, even when he was making some boneheaded moves, but I think that the last verse here makes so much sense. You are her daughters if you do what is right and you do not give way to fear. It is fear that stops us. And listen, this, this goes for men as well. We're called to submit to the authority of our king and, and in our culture, at our workplace, we're called to be submissive as well. And the thing that stops submission dead in its tracks is fear. Typically unnamed fear. Fear that we, we don't even necessarily know is there. We just go, no way, not them. What are they gonna do? Like, how is this gonna turn out? Who's gonna watch out for me? And so we fight against it. But Peter, talking about this, says, if you do what is right and you do not give way to fear, if you follow the way of the Lord, even when it's scary, you will be blessed. Rob Reamer, uh, author of the book Soul Care, he says, freedom is never found in rebellion, only through submission. And again, this goes across the board. This is a, a, a spiritual principle for all of us. I see so many who are trapped in sin, in, in one addiction or another, and they keep digging themselves in deeper because they think, I gotta fight against this sin. I gotta do better next time. I gotta try harder. And it's, it's a rebellious spirit. This sin won't take me down. I'm gonna beat it. And they never do. But those that come in instead and go, Lord, I submit myself to you. You fight my battle for me. I'm too weak. You take this from me. You, and they submit themselves to the Lord. They find freedom every time. And the same thing is true in marriage. I, I get it. We hear some of this and we start to kind of like, it feels like chains beginning to wrap around us. And our natural is to rebel, is to fight against it. You will not find freedom there. You will not find freedom in doing it your way and taking care of yourself. But only through submission to our king. And to his way will we truly find freedom. So, real quick, I want to say this as a disclaimer. I never want to be misinterpreted to say, if you're in a dangerous situation, just stay there and be quiet. If you're in a dangerous place, I want to help you. Not only do I want to see like your marriage grow, I want to help you very practically where you are right now. We shouldn't remain in a dangerous situation. The scripture is very clear that there's only one cause for divorce 
in God's kingdom, and that's, that's adultery. But there's all kinds of other damaging stuff that can take place. And the scripture does allow a lot of space for separation. Now, separation is a, a misunderstood thing because isn't that just legally the step you take before you get divorced? That's not what I'm talking about. But for, hey, us just living in this pressure cooker day after day and expecting something to change isn't going to work. We need some time and space to breathe, to really reflect and to grow, to heal so that we can come back together stronger. If you are in a dangerous place this morning, again, I put my information up there. I want to help you. Peter is not saying, Paul is not saying, just remain there and keep quiet. That's what a good wife would do. That is not the call of God. We, we as a church want to help you if you're in a dangerous place this morning. Please reach out to us and let us walk with you. Does that make sense, church? So back to a middle-aged white guy telling you guys about submission. <laughs> Ladies, women, what, what are some of the what-ifs that come to mind when you think about submission? Again, even, even Peter nailed it when he said, look, it's, this is about fear. This is about, are we going to do things the Lord way, or are we going to give in to the fear that is naturally there? When we talk about submission, there are fears. There are what-ifs that come up. What are some of those what-ifs? And listen, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe a friend told you about some things they were afraid of, and, and you can share on your friend's behalf. What are some of the what-ifs when we think about submission? Oh, come on, I got a whole list here. Well, really practically, sure. What, what if my needs don't get met? Or especially if we have kids, what if our needs don't get met? Let's be honest, what would be the cause of that? What if he's selfish? What if he leads poorly? What else? What if? What if he makes bad financial decisions? What if he makes selfish financial decisions? Yeah. What else? What if he's not a Christ follower? And listen, I'm going to say this. I, I think the scripture is pretty clear on this. Again, if you're one of the people that raised your hand yet, if he or she is not a Christ follower, don't do it. Peter wasn't going, look how awesome it is. Even if he's not a believer, it's going to be great. He was going, ladies, buckle up. This is a really tough road that you're on. For those who aren't married yet, if he's not a believer, that's a deal breaker, ladies. What else? What if? Okay, what if submission results in sin? What if he leads me to a place where I'm not meant to be? That's a tough one. What else? What if I'm miserable? <laughs> what if I'm miserable? Sarah doesn't seem like she was having such a great time, if you read Genesis. Like, what if I'm miserable? Mm -hmm. What if I look like a fool? What if he takes advantage? What if he's just stupid? Now, again, said by an unmarried woman, 
Again, if you're not married and you're coming into this and maybe you've got somebody you're dating and you're looking at them going, ooh, can I trust him? If you're asking that question, don't. Like, get out. Some of you made the decision a long time ago and you're going, what if he's an idiot? I thought I could fix him, but it's been 20 years and he's still him, okay? What if he makes bad choices? What if he takes advantage? What else? What if he's abusive? What if it, it turns out okay? Okay, how do you mean? She said, what if it turns out okay? What do you mean? Like, I guess I'm just looking at the positive of the what ifs, since they all answer other what ifs. Like, <laughs> like, There's not too many positive what ifs. What if it's better than I can imagine? Like, <laughs> most people don't sit up at night going, oh, no. Like, I, I, do, I do fear submission uh -huh. sometimes. And, like, Me too. The, the positive way of looking at things of going, man, how, how could God use this if I actually do it his way? If I actually, like, what if it turned out better than I could imagine? Like, truly, if I followed him. Anything else? What ifs? I guess, like, what if I was what I am? Mm -hmm. What if I lose who I am because I'm submitting to him? What if I have to give up things that I'm passionate about because of him? One that I, I heard somebody else say in, in conversation is, what if I lose my voice? You know, a gentle and quiet spirit. I don't want to lose the things I care about and my perspective and just become like his wife, you know? Like, I get it. Anything else? What if? Call it what it is. What if I don't get what I want? Yeah. What if I can't trust him? Yeah. Yeah. What if he stops listening? I'll tell you, I've never gone through premarital counseling with anybody where we go through this and they go, nah, I'm an abuser. <laughs> My plan is to just shut her out as much as possible. I've never had that conversation with people. Yet I've seen a lot in marriage where that becomes the reality. What if he, what if he changes? Yeah. Anything else? There, there, there's lots else. Okay, let me, let me flip this a little bit. Men, last week we were looking at our role in leading and the weight of accountability that comes with it. It's actually leadership at a great cost to us if we do it the way that God is calling us to. Men, what are some of the what-ifs that come to mind as you think about the sacrificial leadership that you are called to? It's not carefree over here on our side. What are some of the what-ifs? Anybody got it all figured out yet? Me neither. What, what if I don't have the answers? What if I just make horrible decisions? What if I don't know what I'm doing? What else? What if I fail? Most of us would rather not try than try and fail. And it, last week, like, I get it. I, it's a big burden that comes with leadership in the family. And many would just check out instead of trying to carry that load. 
because I don't want to fail. What else? I'm going to let you elaborate a little on that, Sheldon. What do, you, what do you mean? What if she told me so? Let me say this. When you're married to someone that's very bright, uh-huh. smart, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you, you know that you're making a decision and you go, well, you know, what about that decision? Yeah. <laughs> what? Okay. Because there was the, what if I get it wrong? But there's the even worse, what if she was right? Okay. Yeah. What if we come to that place where we're going, we're, we're just not on the same page, and I go, look, I really think this is the way we need to go, and it blows up. How, like, I'm going to say this half-jokingly, but most of us know what I mean. How am I going to live with her then? She was right, and I was wrong. I think yeah. Yeah. Because, again, I, I carry the responsibility. I made the call. Okay, what else? What if? That was a great impression of a man's voice. What if I don't like being a leader? Okay. Listen, some of, some of the fears, they track along the same lines. What if she doesn't support me? What if she takes advantage of me? Because if I come in and I'm, I'm the first one through the door and I'm going, you know what? I'm laying down my rights. What, like, I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to thrive. And what if she just goes, thanks, and off she goes? What if she abuses him? What if she abuses him? This was a foreign concept to me years ago of spousal abuse, and the man was the victim, whether it's, you know, verbal and emotional, even physical. And I was like, wait, what? But, like, it, it is growing. Abuse is not a one-sided thing. What if I look like one of those neutered husbands? Okay. So a few people laughed, so you get it. Um, what if I look like one of those husbands that's whipped? Because uh, my friends at work go, hey, we should go do this and this. Let's take the weekend and let's go. And I go, hey, guys, you know what? Actually, uh, my wife has some plans, and I'm staying home with the kids that weekend. You're What? Are you whipped? Like, what if I look like one of those husbands that's, that's led around by the nose because I'm choosing to come in and lay down my rights for her? What if other people misinterpret that? Because they will. And they go, man, you, who wears the pants in your house? That's how men talk, in case you ladies didn't know. We sound normal when we're with you, but when we're alone, oh, it's a lot of this. What if I lose face? What if I look neutered? What if I look whipped? What if my friends start, you know, pushing back and going, what if I, what if I have to sit on the sideline and watch them go do that thing or go on that trip or whatever it is? But because I chose commitment to my family, I had to say no. It wasn't financially wise. It was like whatever it might be. And I feel like I have to be on the sidelines watching them do the things I want to do. It's painful, right? These what-ifs, they're not just like, oh, these have never happened to anyone. They're, they're very real. But listen, I, we have to kind of, we have to check ourselves a little bit. We have to, to, to flip it. Here's a question that we normally ask when it comes to either sacrificial leadership or submission. Can my spouse be trusted? 
Because most of the stuff we said was what if he or what if she, right? Can my spouse be trusted? This is the wrong question. Again, if you're not married yet, are they trustworthy? Yeah. That, is, that is a great question to ask. If you're, if you're thinking, I don't know if I can trust him, get out. If you're looking at her going, yeah, I don't know if I can trust her, she's not the one. But listen, because here's just the real answer. Can your spouse be trusted? No. Can your spouse be trusted to never let you down? No. Can your spouse be trusted to never take advantage of you? No. Can your spouse be trusted to never make a selfish decision? No. They can't. But can your spouse respect you? Not always. But again, now, we can start going, yeah, most of the time. Again, there's, there's certain qualities we're looking for. Trustworthiness. Someone who honors me. But can I trust them to do it perfectly? Can I trust them to never let me down? No. And so naturally what we do then is we go, I don't know which time they're going to let me down, so I'll just protect myself in all of them. Because it hurts to be let down, especially by your spouse. Someone that you have let in closer than anyone else, it hurts to be let down. And even if they only do it one time out of a hundred, that one time really hurts. And so we keep asking, can I trust them? Can they do it perfectly? They cannot. It's a fool's errand. We, we said in the, be, in the beginning of this, no one else is meant to make you happy. Like to, to rely on my spouse to go, you better nail it 100% of the time. Otherwise, like, what am I going to do with myself? She can't live up to it. I can't live up to it. My spouse is going to let me down. Now, again, that's not the goal. I'm not aiming for someone who's choosing to let me down, but they're going to make mistakes. They're going to have bad days. They're going to make selfish decisions. We're going to see things differently and want to go in different directions, and we're not going to communicate well, and we're going to, like, it's going to happen because we are two sinful people smashed together trying to figure out life together. Can my spouse be trusted is the wrong question to be asking. Here's the real question. Can God be trusted? In those times when my spouse lets me down, because they will, can God be trusted? If the answer is yes, then I as a husband can be the first one to lay it down and go, what puts you in the best situation? How do you see things? I, I, I want to lead in a way that causes you to thrive because even when you let me down, he's got me. I believe that he is enough. Can God be trusted? Is his way truly better than my way? My way is fight for myself and make sure I'm good. His way is sacrifice yourself for her good and trust that he's going to be enough for me? Do I really trust that his way is better than my way? Do I trust that he's better at looking out for me and defending me than I am for myself? See, all those what-ifs lead me to defend myself beforehand and set myself up to, like, answer every question and, fight, and I wasn't wrong, you were wrong. And instead of just going, I've been called to lead my wife in a way that puts her in a position to thrive, 
And even when I make a wrong choice, even when she lets me down, even when she is selfish, God will be my defender. He will look out for me. His way is better than mine. Can he be trusted? That's really what's at stake here. Are we, all of us, husbands, wives, children, are we willing to place ourselves under his authority? His way in marriage, not ours, because he knows better than us, because he can be trusted, because he is our defender and the one who takes care of us, even when they let us down. This is what's really at stake here. When we place ourselves under his authority, we will be transformed in our marriages. Our marriages will be transformed around us and the ripple effect will continue outwards through our children to the generations in our neighborhoods and in our communities. But only when we decide to submit ourselves to our king, to approach marriage his way and allow him to take care of what comes after. Does that make sense, church? I want to uh, finish. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. I want to finish with this benediction um, from Jude's letter to the church. He finishes his letter by saying this, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority for all time, now and forever. Amen. Can you, husbands, lead your wives perfectly? Nope. Wives, can you submit yourselves to his leadership perfectly? Nope. Will there be times when we let each other down and we hurt each other? Yeah. But listen, he is able to protect us to keep us from stumbling, to put us back on that path so that one day we can stand in the glory of his presence. And listen, that's going back to Ephesians chapter 5, to husbands, to present your wives to the Lord one day without spot or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. He is able to protect us if we submit to his way and give up our own. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?